Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but it can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Good day to you. I speak to you from Sunday morning and... um, Listen to how much clearer my voice is now that I've finished the tour. <sighs> Typical. But I did get through it. So I'm speaking to you now. It's Sunday morning. What time is it? Mm, it's getting quite late, actually. It's nearly 10 o'clock. And um, I came home on Friday, lunchtime, after being away for, I think it was 11 nights in the end. Quite long, but really very satisfying because I've been touring for the first time in Europe like that for 20 years. And there are some countries I didn't go to on this run, but hopefully we'll go to next run. But there were some places that, yeah, I hadn't done a headline show for yonk, absolute yonks, like Germany. So we did Berlin and Cologne and Hamburg. We were in Paris, we were in Brussels, Amsterdam, and Warsaw. In the background, you can hear Jesse. It sounds like he's talking utter gobbledygook. He is playing a gorilla game online with lots of people. And he's very enthusiastic and he keeps trying to make friends. It's very sweet. Uh, Mickey's chilling, having been the first one up. Uh, Ray's next door playing. And then my two teenage sons and my husband are all still in bed. How nice. Um... But I'm pretty happy. I'm I'm actually really happy. I'm glad to be home. It was time to be home. I was missing home a lot. And I like being back in my own place. And the nice thing is, I haven't got any work which takes me away for a few weeks now. And then it's only for a night. So I'm really happy just to have a bit of time here. 
just chilling at home again for a little while. I'm in that mood where I really want to sort everything out. I feel like this year I've already been very into my sorting out, so I keep opening drawers and cupboards and spaces that I haven't opened for ages and then just going through everything. It's very satisfying. I love it. Yeah, how are you? Um, I'm sorry about last weekend when I spoke to you and I was really croaky. That cold was nasty. But I did get through all the gigs, so that's good. But the thing about cold is it's just got to run its course. There's literally nothing you can do to G it along. I was trying to rest my voice and I was doing lots of steaming and drinking so many mugs of hot herbal tea, which really helps for the singing, but it doesn't really get the cold but any faster. It's very boring. But the gigs themselves were really... I really enjoyed them, despite all that. So that's great. And we've now found ourselves... This is the last podcast of the series. Series nine. So I've actually got as my guest this week someone I had in mind to speak to from the very moment that uh, Spinning Plates came into the world, which is um, a friend of mine called Hannah. So Hannah Chambers, I know, the reason we first met is because Hannah's husband, Jeremy, used to work at the stage paper, uh, the the theatre industry paper, with my friend, Maria. So I first met, um, yeah, Jeremy through Maria and then his wife, Hannah. And I always really got on with her. And she's a very impressive person because she has her own independent uh, comedy management agency but it's really her attitude that always really impressed me and naturally you know what it's like when you speak to someone and you meet up with them every once in a while and you have the chat how are the kids how's the family and uh, I was always really impressed with Hannah's approach to to work and also to the fact that she was quite she always seemed very unapologetic about the fact that Jeremy does the childcare when she's working and their dynamic seemed very seems and is <laughs> not saying behind, behind the illusion no there is no illusion it just I just really was always impressed with them because it seemed like they really had it sorted but also I could see that Hannah has to work incredibly hard and hold her own and I think she's got that drive where she wants to really prove herself she's very very driven and I think it's people like her it's women like her where when I'm feeling wobbly about the choices I've made and the work I do and how it impacts on my ability to parent I think of people like her and think look it's okay to do your own thing and to push yourself and to be ambitious because there's lots and lots of ways to be a mum that doesn't have to mean you're around 24-7 because you know that is the sacrifice I've made really and I've always said to the kids, the the worst thing about my work is that it takes me away from them sometimes. And, you know, I've struggled with that. But I also know that I wouldn't be the person I am and I wouldn't be able to be their mum in the way that I am if I didn't have my work. So, you know, I think all these conversations, the whole 90, 90 conversations I've been having, they all help me just contextualise and, I don't know, be a bit more forgiving of myself, I suppose, and my my wants and what's, what matters to me. And it's really always nice to speak to people who are, have different ways of doing things. And I suppose with Hannah and Jeremy, Jeremy doing the childcare while Hannah works, obviously we have spoken to a few other working mums where that's the dynamic, but it is still more unusual. It's not the typical. And it certainly isn't the dynamic in my house. 
So I'd like to thank Hannah and Jeremy for, you know, well, Hannah for being open and Jeremy for letting her chat about that dynamic too. And it was a joy to talk to Hannah. She's very funny and she looks after a lot of really impressive comedy acts from Flight of the Concord to Ashley and B and Joe Lysett and Jimmy Carr. And it's worth mentioning as well that we talked a lot about a certain chocolate that she was eating. I, th- I can't remember if we speak about it at the beginning, but... Basically, Hannah, from when she gets up through to about midday, eats this 100% cocoa chocolate. It is disgusting. It's only chocolate by name. Like, for me, it takes all the fun out of chocolate. But then I know I'm not much of a grown-up because I have, like, sugar on my coffee and that kind of thing. So, yeah, she says it's like rocket fuel and she eats, like, a packet of it by lunchtime and then she has to stop, otherwise it'll keep her up at night. I'm not surprised. It's very intense. What else do you need to know? I think that's kind of it for now. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it was a lovely thing to talk to her. And we spoke in a beautiful cinema that her dad has renovated in Holborn called, oh, what is it called? I know the answer to this. Uh, my head has gone blank because I keep thinking it's called the Secret Garden Party Cinema. And obviously that is not it. Hang on a minute. I'm actually going to look it up for you because that's ridiculous. Cinema Holborn. Let's see what my little Google can do for me. The Garden Cinema. There you go. <laughs> this is um, not my uh, finest moment in terms of my intros. Googling a fact about a guest. Brilliant. It's Sunday. I'm tired. I just come back from tour. You're lucky I'm talking to you at all. I'm joking. I just know some musicians who need to decompress. Not I. I was up at 5.30 with my four-year-old yesterday. Hoopla. All right, see you on the other side. Bye. Oh, this is so nice. Oh, I'm nice so to see you, here. Hannah. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all right now. Actually, do you know, I, um, you know, I postponed our chat from... It was meant to be on Monday. It's mm. because I had the most awful surgery go wrong with my mouth. Oh, no. And I couldn't speak. And so we had to move all these meetings to accommodate. I had a wisdom tooth out. Yeah. Um, two weeks ago today. Yeah. Which was fine. Did it on a Friday. Thought I'm going to recover on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunday. And then I'll be back at work on Monday. And I sort of planned yeah. the whole thing yeah. to fit in with my schedule. I took the sedative. I had the Friday afternoon off. I thought, perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Turn my phone off for a few hours. Saturday, Sunday, lovely. Did all the right things. Monday, came into the office. Did my usual, way too much caffeine, way too much stimulants, way too much walking around and yeah. shouting at people. Being busy. Being busy. Uh, got to 6.30, had a meeting, and I started hemorrhaging. Seriously hemorrhaging. Oh, and it ah. was the most gore. I won't don't want to go into too much detail because people might be eating but it was it was basically it was three hours of hell and I called the dentist and effectively he opened up his central London surgery at 10 p.m on Monday night spent an hour and a quarter stopping the bleeding and then I had to effectively for four days lie horizontal so that it didn't start again <laughs> and so Just I was doing all around. my meetings when we finish recording can you tell me a bit more about the gory aspect I quite like hearing I am, those stories I will absolutely tell you about it because it was it, it, it was like being in a horror film and I still have a bit of PTSD. I'm I went, not surprised. That's like, I mean, even anxiety dreams don't take it that far. And I, I saw him yesterday. I've seen him three times Poor since. Thing. And he, he's been giving me his mobile number and his plans 
regularly so that I can call him. So my dentist and I have become very close. It's never happened to him in 30 years. So where were you when it started? What? I was I was I was in this building. Oh my it was God. an evening meeting. That makes me feel a bit faint. Yeah, I'm really sorry. And then my husband was incredible. Like he was he was driving me at sort of breakneck speed into mm. central London with it just pouring. <laughs> Who knew there was an artery in your mouth? It's not a major oh, artery, but gosh. there is an artery. Yeah, he basically sewn through the artery. Oh my god. Yeah, it was a big mess up. Anyway, so that was why I delayed it. And basically on the Monday I was meant to speak to you, we had all these meetings that we'd reschedule, and I was just about to, I was like, oh, I was a bit I was a bit like that. And I thought, I can't speak to Sophie. <laughs> You're so eloquent. <laughs> I was like, I can't speak to her. So I said we have to move it. Well, um Thank you for delaying. Taking that all in. Um, I'm so sorry. What a, what a horrible experience. It, was it painful as well? It was quite painful. Weirdly, the pain wasn't the issue for me. It yeah. was the visuals. And it was also the fact, and you'll probably get to see this in the next hour, I have such a tight schedule mm. that if if I'm suddenly in a position where I can't function yeah. in a kind of... In a in a in a in a sort of very um, efficient way for work or mm-hmm. kids or or, or or you know or my exercise, it's very very stressful. And so mm. in a way that was much more stressful. And me having to deal with clients, and after a while I stopped telling clients what was wrong. So they just thought I just sounded a bit weird, and I just stopped telling them. And I was lying on my back doing the calls and doing the emails. Wow. Because you just get exhausted by telling people after a while, don't you, with these things. Yeah, and you having just think, the same conversation. You just think, I'm just on repeat. So, But the pain wasn't so... And I took loads of painkillers. That was fine. And as women, we have a very high pain threshold. Yeah, I'm just taking it all in there because I, I was I thinking about your your schedule and you mentioned about being efficient. And I do think of you as a very... I can see <laughs> you have that um, in you, that desire to be very on it and keeping an eye on things. So... For people that don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your working week looks like? What do you, I mean, I know you look after comedians. I look after comedians. Look? So I've done that all of my adult life um, since I was, since I graduated. So I'm 47 on Monday and I started doing that 22. So, God, it's been 25 years. Um, so I don't know how, how much information you want on that, but effectively, yeah, basically I manage, I've been managing comedians since I graduated mm-hmm. and I've got a great team of eight people so I've got really good support but effectively I give up my Monday to Friday fully for that mm-hmm. you know yeah from the moment I wake up I mean I I have a pretty a pretty strict sort of morning routine of exercise and breathing exercises and I get into the work into work between nine and ten and I'm often there till any time up until midnight I suppose but often nine. Oh wow and then I get back or I go out to a gig or a tv record of course a lot of it's so nocturnal and quite a lot nocturnal and pre-pandemic I would probably be out five nights a week mm. maybe even six now I'm much much better I, I've had some health issues just nothing, nothing major but just things where stress can get ahead of me and I try and have three nights in a, a week Mm-hmm. maybe even four, you know. Okay. So I do try much harder to get the balance and I try and get home for nine so that I can see the kids, yeah. sit on the sofa, watch something, keep an eye on emails. Yeah. But, and know. how old are your two girls now? So Rosie is 12, Abby is 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lola, my dog, is my third child, <laughs> is almost three. And, and, she, and, and, I, and I say it with a smile, but I totally see her as my third child. Yes. <laughs> and I 
love her so much. And I know I haven't said I love my children. I love my children too, <laughs> but I love my dog so much. I, I should tell you one thing about her because before I forget, when she we got her in lockdown mm-hmm. and she uh, was picked up from Exeter by Jeremy, my husband, who sends his love. Mm. Um, yeah. And he drove all the way to Exeter. He picked up this a lovely eight-week-old puppy. She's a cavapoo. And he drove all the way back with her weeing on the, so- on the seat next to him. <laughs> and he came back, and I was on the sofa uh, later that evening with the dressing gown, and he put the dog on me, and she found my nipple. And basically, this puppy started breastfeeding. Wow. And it was the most incredible feeling of love and warmth and oxytocin, yeah. I would say. I mean, someone's going to listen to this and go absolutely rubbish, but I honestly felt this rush of oxytocin. The, the hormones just releasing. The hormones, and, and obviously there was no milk. Warm, fuzzy but, feeling. But, and then he tried to wrestle her off my nipple, and eventually he got her off. But he was laughing so much that it took him a good two minutes or so before she came <laughs> off. But we have a bond, yeah. Are you still feeding her now? no. <laughs> I would if I could. <laughs> That'd be another tie, wouldn't it, with your work and your day? <laughs> that would be, yeah, I can schedule that in. <laughs> Recovering from the wisdom tooth. Of yeah. <laughs> dog lies across you. Um, and I suppose there's a lot of, well, you mentioned Jeremy. So, yeah, you're, I think, one of the few people I've spoken to where I actually know you outside of chatting to you, which is really lovely. Mm. And I have actually wanted to speak to you since I started the podcast. I had you in my head from <laughs> the, in, the sort of inception of this whole thing because you've always been someone that, firstly, wittingly or not, you've you've actually influenced me in my approach to my work because I remember us having conversations when we were getting to know one another. Mm. And I always loved... Well, firstly, you've got that kind of real um, drive and clarity when it comes to your work and obviously very successful and I always find it quite um, a lovely feeling to be around people who are so sort of um, engaged with what they're up to and energised by it. But also when it came to speaking about your girls, so Jeremy, who I know through my best friend, who's mm. Jeremy and Marie used to work together, um, in your home he's the primary mm. care, carer for your girls, mm. which obviously shouldn't be a big deal, but it is definitely still a conversation. And I always loved the fact that you were so unapologetic and proud about it. Mm. Together, the two mm. of you are such a like complete team about all mm. of it. And I wondered when, we'll get onto your working day a little bit more in a minute, but when people are talking to you and they are, and for your girls as well, when they realise that's the dynamic, yeah. is there, what's the most yeah. sort of common response? Well, it's funny how, so like, for example, school events or school parties, they will always text the mother mm. initially. Uh, less so now because I think our dynamic is much more known amongst our peer group. Mm. But it, the number of times that the school or parents will just assume, always assume that the mother is the one that holds the diary, will hold all the, d- d- the d- decision-making for the child. And it's not to say that I have no part in that. Of course I do. And I don't want to completely remove myself from that. Certainly I... I uh, you know, we certainly discuss things about the kids in the evening or maybe during the day, but more in the evening or weekend. But it was the assumptions that Jeremy wasn't involved that he's had to fight against. And I think mm. when the kids were younger, he would... T- so, for example, um, you know, I went back to work after a few weeks after both births and Jeremy was there doing all the 
all the sort of normal things you'd get mothers doing and all this sort of um, the, the, the singing groups and, you know, all the, um, I'm trying to think what they rhyme times and um, various different classes. And he'd be the only man there often. And there's a lovely thing that mothers do when they're kind of going to these groups that they all sort of go off for coffees afterwards. And I don't think he was particularly asked and I don't think he was necessarily particularly involved. And I think that's very hard for him because mentally he's still going through those massive changes from not having kids to having kids. I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but I think he had, and I think he was quite open about this, I think he had postnatal depression. Uh, I had a different version of the the trauma of it, or my, my trauma sort of took a different different shape, but he had that whole sort of trauma that, was, that, that, that new mums have, but no one thinks that a man's going to have it. And he's getting used to the fact that he's given up his job and he's having to structure a day with a newborn that isn't really party to that structure. And mm. he is someone that finds that that quite difficult. And he's also trying to help me get back into my work routine because he knows that if I don't sleep, I can't work. And that is what the whole family's reliant on, yeah. is me working. So it was all very, very difficult. And it, it's not helped by the fact that people just don't give men that respect and support what he found was a lot of people going oh we're so jealous of you we'd love to do that but I don't think that's necessarily the most genuine response I don't think a lot of men would like to do it I think a lot of men think they would but I think it's tougher than you think and I think that what Jeremy found was it, it, it took him by surprise how tough it was to to, to 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 be in these sort of new baby groups with all these mothers yeah yeah, then, it's, the it's isolating got, enough when you're a new parent. And when the kids got a little bit older, he would want him to do play dates. But then if the mother was maybe a little bit more old-fashioned, they would feel uncomfortable meeting Jeremy in the park with the kids. And mm. so he found there was a little bit of prejudice there as well. So it wasn't always easy. Yeah, that's a lot. And actually, funnily enough, um, what you're telling me reminds me of uh, when we spoke to a while back called Rosa Bloom. Uh, she... So, like festival clothing, really fantastic mm. sequined um, outfits. Nice. And when she she was right in the midst of setting her company when she had a baby, so her partner was the, the primary carer, and he got a postnatal depression that the doctors worked out was more similar to the classic maternal one than the mm. it can be maternal or paternal, but mm. because the primary carer's um, neurology shifts whoever is the main carer mm. will have these mm. ne neurological shifts mm. and he was his was the same as what mm. you commonly see in, in mothers so interesting well I, I'm really pleased you said that because mm. I I witnessed it but mm. I didn't know any of the scientific backgrounds and that's really interesting it is interesting because you're really interesting all this stuff is I think some of it is relatively new things I think mm. for a long time what was happening with people after childbirth and with the early years and stuff was probably just a bit like left as a sort of yeah. new science, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, it's it's really interesting. And um, the, the other thing... I feel for thing... Jeremy with all that, actually. I can totally picture all of that happening and not being invited to the... Yeah. And also your loss of identity if he's not working anymore and suddenly... Well, this is it, because he, he had anyone. like a 20-year career writing, develop, and then he started developing TV shows. And to be fair, he, he, he carried on doing bits and pieces part-time and freelance and stuff. But... Uh, so he sort of kept up his creativity. But I think he also, I think men more than women like to sort of compare their jobs. Mm. And actually, you know, and this is one of the reasons I love Jeremy so much is that he's not, he's not a big alpha male. 
Like he don't, he doesn't need to walk into a dinner party and sit there and go, hey, I, I'm earning six figures doing this. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about money. He doesn't really care about status. He doesn't care about what someone does. He's very much, do I like you as a person? Mm. But, but, and this is a massive generalization, but a lot of men that he would meet in some of our circles, I think found it quite hard to get their head around the fact that he didn't really care about jobs and status and all that. Mm. So that was a really good thing. And I was really pleased because I think some men would have struggled on that front. Yeah. That their that their wife was the breadwinner and their wife was the one that when, you know, when we book a holiday, my surname being Chambers, he would always be known as Mr. Chambers. And that's quite hard for mm. some men as well. We're like, wait, where's my identity gone? Yeah. But I was very aware and the kids have got his surname, actually, even though we I haven't taken his. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to think about someone's ego and you've got to think about how they feel in that new dynamic because yeah. you're focused on the children, but if you completely ignore the new roles as parents, I think you're really missing something that could fester in oh, the relationship yeah. and suddenly you get to sort of, you know, five, ten years later and suddenly your relationship is a bit fragile. Absolutely. Well, that's the ongoing, you know, dynamic between any time two people are raising a child and yeah. working all those things out because... Children take a lot of work. There's a lot of admin. There's the practicality of the mm. bedtimes in the morning, getting them. It's, it's, it's full on. <laughs> it's so full. I mean, you're the best. I mean, just, you know, I, and I know you're interviewing me, but I mean, Sophie, I just don't know how you cope with five children. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And I've been listening to your podcast. You got me through lockdown because I would go, I would go out for a walk or a run to try and get away from, you know, the solid, the, 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 uh, the, the sort of solitary existence in my home study and I'd go out and i listen to your podcast and it was it filled me with joy and I'd think how does Sophie do it how does she stay so happy and also <laughs> you know what you've given complete focus to your career when you're doing it you you give focus and then you give focus to your kids when it's time for them and I think you get that balance so incredibly brilliantly and you know I don't want to smoke blow smoke up your ass, but I have such respect for you. <laughs> well, I'm thank sorry. you. There's probably some dots joined there as well because there are definitely bits where the wheels fall off and it's all of chaos course. and yeah. Um, and like anyone where you're trying to do both things, you get to the end of some weeks and think that was that felt pretty good and other weeks you think, oh, maybe a bit too much work or other weeks were a bit yeah. too much time where I, you know, yeah. I, I was not really focused enough on what I was doing. So it's about that, mm. getting that thing. And I think if you work in creative and if you're your own boss, it's quite tricky because mm. you're basically weighing up these decisions all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, I think conversations like this are really important mm. because it's basically the conversation I have 90% of the time when I meet someone else mm. who's also a parent. It's like just that it, it turns to that because mm. it takes up so much of your headspace but and I'd love to be a fly on the wall with most people I know. You know, you want to see how do oh they God, yeah. how do they transition from work to parent? Yes. That's what I'm so interested in because those two sides to your personality, mm. how's that happening? Yes, and it's like Last night I had that thing where um, my kids weren't going to sleep. I've got three in one room, so they were keeping... Gosh. Normally it works quite well when the the primary school two fall asleep by the time the teen, teenager yeah. goes in. Yeah. But last night that wasn't the case. And so I was I was also trying to do um, an edit of some pictures for um, some new album artwork. So I had to get it down from 300 photos to 12. Oh, gosh. I didn't quite manage, actually. It was really... Anyway, so I went up at about 11 when they were still chatting and I was like, you have to stop talking this instant. You know, I was being all strict. And then I came out and shut the door and felt a bit sad because it's like, you want to be nice, mm. you know, reasonable, but then sometimes you just mm. got to put on that hat where you're just being really, like, strict. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and me anyway, just oh, being, I'm the same. being a bit hardcore. I get told, can you not be fun, mum? <laughs> and I'm like, nope. 
I've had a long day in the office. My clients have had fun, Mum. Oh, well, that's the thing. I was thinking about that. So, can I? what led you to want to look after comedians? So, so I was... Um, I don't know how long a version to give you of this. So I, I, I was always going down a very sort of maths and science route at school and university. I did, I did, I did all my sort of maths, double maths, physics, chemistry, A levels, and I did a science degree at Cambridge. So I was very okay. much going which down science? towards. I did natural sciences, which oh, is a course that covers sort of several sciences, and I specialised eventually in experimental psychology. But I was always going down a sort of science route because that's where my brain was naturally mm. best at sort of coping. But but from an age from age sixteen, I was absolutely obsessed by stand up comedy. I was obsessed by um, watching it on VHS, and mm. I'd go to gigs. And then, come eighteen, I had a gap year, and I was um, waitressing at a comedy club, and I just loved it. And I would collect uh, the numbers uh, of all the comedians that I would be chatting to in all the intervals. So I collect. I, I basically got a notebook full of. You know, whatever, fifty well, odd comedians. You're sixteen. I'm eighteen. Eighteen. I was a waitress. This How is are my you year off. To get phone numbers from all the comedians, just I'd be like... chatting to them and saying and saying <laughs> I'm going to go to university and I want to book you for my university. Amazing. Yeah. So I was sort of collect. You know, whatever. Before you were even at uni, so you just well, imagining... I had a place at Cambridge, okay. so I knew I was going. So I was like, I, w- I want to book com- comedians when I'm there. Fantastic. So I was thinking about it. So I collected some numbers. Anyway, I went there and for three years, and I did a science degree. I got through it, but I can't say I was particularly good. Um, but I got involved initially with sort of producing things with Footlights and then mm-hmm. I started booking these comedy nights and these balls and I started bringing up these London-based comedians and I effectively sort of set the business up in my room. My, my dad checked the contract, he was a lawyer, um, I got head of notepaper. I don't think a lot of them realised that I was only 19, 20 years old. I think that there was probably, uh, never, I never pretended, but I think they probably thought I was quite a few years older. Mm. Um, and so when I graduated, it was a natural thing for me to go and set up as an agent. And the club that I was working as a waitress for gave me a fantastic opportunity. And they said, come in as a partner. You set up the agency. You've got a training ground in the basement, which is effectively the comedy club. And I signed, with about a week, I signed a comedian called Daniel Kitson, which I'm sure oh, Claire yeah, would know. I know that name. Um, and we worked together for, we went on to work together for nine years. And then six months later, give or take, a few months, six months, I signed Jimmy Carr. So I was only 22 when I signed Jimmy. Wow, I didn't realise your relationship goes back that far. It, it goes back to 1999. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and and I think we recognise in each other a work ethic. And I mm. think what Cambridge had given me was this incredible focus of... If you want something to be done, you've got to do it so much better than anyone else. You've basically got to just work incredibly hard. I was very focused and wanted to try and make my mark. And it was seven days a week I'd be out at gigs and I would... uh, I never took any weekends off. I would do that for probably six years. I just worked seven days a week, every minute of the day, until I met Jeremy. And then... I started to take weekends off and that was a mm. slight sort of change at that point. But then after six years at this comedy club, I, we split and then I set up on my own in 2004 mm. Chambers Management and the clients came with me. So 
yeah, quite a few of them have been with me since, you know, sort of turn of the century. That's it. Well, that's insane because yeah. I would imagine as well, anytime you've got art and commerce, they're quite uneasy bedfellows. And yeah. in comedy, you might get someone who's amazing at making putting a room in the palm of their hand and making mm. them laugh, but their business acumen or their ambition yeah. might be a little bit less focused. Yeah. And they're probably quite vulnerable in that regard, actually, yeah. like musicians too. Yeah. So having that symbiosis of someone that has Good the word. vision and sort of says, you've got this talent, mm. how, how, how important is it to you mm. that what they see for themselves or is it about you? So that you? Is it sometimes like you have this idea of their potential and you're helping them? I feel like I need to marry my ambition with our ambition otherwise it won't work and yeah. I've not had a 100% success rate in that because sometimes I push too hard and the client just wants an easier life I have I don't have that many clients you know I've only got about 14 clients and there's nine of us looking after them so it's the ratio is pretty high but the expectation on us on, on the expectation on the talent mm. to do their part of it you know to be working hard and it's it's a pressure you know mm. I can't get away from the fact there is that pressure but there's also pressure on us to work equally hard and we have that yeah relationship whereby we agree that we're all going to work as hard as possible and occasionally it doesn't work out and you have to part ways yeah. and that's fine that's life you know sometimes yeah. you just sort of as with any relationship you go off in different directions but the the what the, the, the relationships that work best are the ones where we have that understanding and I really, and I really, really enjoy it. Like, I can't yeah. say I enjoy every moment of it, but then no one enjoys every moment of their job. But I really find um, the journey of taking someone from unknown to that sort of first level of being known yeah. is, that turning point is so exhilarating. Yeah. When you start to kind of, when you start to sort of, um, you'll go to a non-industry party for example and people will say who their favorite comedians are and they'll mention someone who's just turned the corner and inside you're going yes they've got into the consciousness of people that aren't in the industry yeah and that's really exciting um so I get a real buzz from it still and, and I guess um, you do have to manage to get that person that feels the same about that ambitious thing because all these things you know it's not like every day you're up and ready to push the rock again then there's a momentum on both sides so on yeah. they're sometimes phoning you with I've had this idea or I want to yeah. do this or yeah. how do I get onto that festival or whatever it exactly. might be exactly exactly it's often things like I want to get onto that TV show how do we do it that's often mm. or how do I get my own TV show what's that journey going to be and so we then carve that career path which obviously changes mm. because you can never completely plan a pathway but you try together to to stick to the sort of one year, two year, five year plan, and mm -hmm. that's that's exciting because you really do share the excitement when they get to that next stage. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box, and if you break it down, it really comes out to two dollars a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And just for the sake of name dropping, who are some of the people that people would know? So we mentioned Jimmy Carr, um, uh, Sarah Millican. So Sarah's been with me, I think, 16 years, give or take, a year or two. Um, So Jimmy and Sarah are both in Australia right now, and I'm flying out in a week and a half, two weeks, to see them both in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, And Joe Lysett. So that was exciting. Joe... um, He's brilliant. Joe and I have been working together, I think, 12 years and he was someone that was, you know, completely unknown when we started working together. And we have had so much fun recently. We've filmed a show that uh, we're currently selling on his website, but it's something I'm so proud of. And uh, it's called More, 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 How Do You Lice It? And it's, 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 it's there's always puns. And then I know, we're, I love a pun too. Yeah, I love a pun. Um, <laughs> and then we're about to launch a sort of a big, um, a big live Channel 4 show, which I think will be announced by the time this goes out. I think it would have been announced. So I don't think I'm saying anything inaccurate, but it's a kind of LGBT, uh, LGBT sort of TFY Friday live show. Oh, and cool. It's going to be really exciting in Birmingham. Oh, amazing. So those three, uh, Ashling B. Oh, wow, cool, yeah. Um, who has, is just an incredible actress and writer um, and hopefully tour or tour soon. Um, so those are probably the names that you would know most. And then there's Flight of the Concords that you and I have talked about before, who we have, I've been working <laughs> with now for 20 years, so t- since 2003. They don't come over very often, but when they do, that's really exciting. Um, and they do so well. Um, Cos, what a lovely roster. So many, and I love the fact that so many long-term relationships, which always mm. speaks volumes. I mean, because I think it's, in entertainment you can sort of multiply everything by seven for yeah. like, you know, loyalty factor. And um, yeah. And and I was thinking on the way here, I was trying to work out my mind who would be more needy to manage musicians or comedians a good question <laughs> it's a good question and we're probably going down a very very dangerous <laughs> hole here because you don't have to name any names no. I'm just thinking I mean you know I, I tell you one thing I was thinking on the way here I was thinking because I have quite a loose tongue and it, and I said this morning um 
to my, I, I, I sort of saw my kids and husband for about I don't know, 10 minutes. And I said, what do I, need, what do I need to be most careful of not to say to Sophie? And they said, well, you're, you're absolutely conditioned not to say stuff about your clients. Like I have, I've never messed up on that front, mm. but I mess up all the time. I say things completely inappropriately about the kids. So they said, <laughs> they, the kids sort of listed all the things not to say about them. <laughs> but I'm, I'm good. I've sort of trained my brain with the clients because you kind of have to, you're, you're given so much confidential information. Mm. And so, yes, there's probably pillow talk with me and Jeremy about things that have upset me, but it would never go beyond yeah. the bedroom because as soon as your clients think they can't trust you, you're finished. You, you, you know, you, and you with your agent as well, you yeah. would have to know that you could say something that was so, you know, personal and it would go no oh, further. Yeah. No, definitely They're not. like a therapist in some ways. But I do think... Both sets, musicians and comedians. We, I know from my manager, it's very important that I feel like I'm the most important thing yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you've got 14 people who need to feel like that, how yeah. how do you balance that? It's not always easy, and it's and and most of the time it's fine because certain clients need 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 that nurture and time at different times. Mm-hmm. So I can balance it, and it's you generally shouldn't talk about other clients. Yeah, that's a, I would say that's a very good rule. Hannah. It's a very, very good rule. Occasionally we mess up because sometimes you have to, but it's not It's not great. No, I don't like that either. Derek, if you're listening, I really don't like other <laughs> clients. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's the golden rule. Don't compare clients. It's only about me, please. It's all about the person you're speaking to. Absolutely. Okay. I don't want to know how well someone else is doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, occasionally I go, listen, they're doing really badly. Oh, that's, that's, that's okay. Fine. That's okay. If you say, like, don't worry, their tour didn't sell either. <laughs> totally <laughs> fine. Then you're like, oh, that's fine then. Yeah, exactly. But if it's, that's so strange. It worked so well with so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, if you listen to what you've just said. Yeah. Can I just repeat that back? Should we just repeat that back? <laughs> and you should then say, you know, the other agent's doing even better. <laughs> yeah, do right. Throw it back at them. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is sometimes difficult. And I suppose what's sometimes hard is when on the same night there's mm. you know there's two shows that are equally important and i've obviously got a good team mm. and thank god i do so we can sort of share things out but there is always that thing of there's always that worry that i have which is does that client think because i'm not there that i don't care and sometimes logistically you just yeah. can't be everywhere you know yeah. and it's i i suppose i have this inner perfectionism whereby i do regularly worry that me not being there sends the message that I, that I don't care and I yeah I go to bed sometimes going oh no I do really care but you just can't you just there's a limit to how much you can do absolutely and limit. I think there's lots of ways to be there without having to physically be there even a little message remembering where they're, what they're up to but then when you, what happens so obviously it's these long long-term relationships that are really you know well nurtured and maintained but then when the babies came along mm. <laughs> how obviously you said, you know, it was quite an obvious thing that you would maintain your work and mm. it was really important to the family. But what about for you? How easy was it for you to sort of structure that in your head? I I find it really hard. I find it really hard. I wanted to control everything. I So initially when I got pregnant, um, the day I found out that I got pregnant was the day we moved into this building. Uh, it was a very, very memorable. It was, yeah, March, March 2010. Um and it, it took me a while to get my head around the fact that I was expecting a child because it wasn't something that I'd planned. I think that Jeremy was probably the one that was pushing it more than me, if I'm honest. I wasn't, 
I, I hadn't, I wasn't one of those girls that had sort of grown up going, I want, you know, I want loads of children. Um, it took me a while. So I tried to plan it and I tried to plan it in terms of uh, initially getting a private midwife. So the private midwife could then see me out of hours at home. And that worked, that worked quite well. Um, I then had physical difficulties with, I had physical difficulties with both pregnancies. So, and I've listened to quite a lot of your podcasts. It's amazing how many have um, sickness, how many people you've, you've spoken to have sickness. I had zero sickness. Mm. I had the thing where you can't walk, where your pelvis opens. Yeah. Um, so I was strapped up. Very painful. It's incredibly, to the point, I mean, I was on crutches. I, I, I could just about get in out of the car and drive to the office. But going up and down stairs, it was just, it was just mm. awful. Yeah. And that was the first pregnancy. The second one was, um, I was hosp- hospitalised because the baby at nine weeks was sitting on my uh, urethra and I couldn't pee. So I had to be catheterised for a few weeks and wow, so I've never even heard of that one no I you just literally can't pee it's oh. the weird thing so I had these two sort of physical things going on mm. so the first pregnancy I got this private midwife and she after a few months I think she could see that I wasn't really coming to terms with having a baby she could see psychologically I was still running my life at the same speed I was still very stressed there's a lot of stress hormones that were going through me um and she, she tried quite hard, I think, to slightly sort of calm me down. My mother as well. My mother, my mother's a child psychiatrist, <laughs> which comes with its own, uh, as a whole other podcast, um, being the daughter of a child psychiatrist, where yeah. she will, um, she means very well, but the comments, because they're coming from incredibly good scientific backing, have quite a sharp meaning, you know, like mm. when she says things you kind of go you're not just saying that as a mother with an opinion you're saying that as someone that's been properly sort of trained up Mm. and so I feel even worse (laughs) yes Um, I can imagine that yeah so so I um I as we got closer and closer to the to the date I was really struggling mentally with it and then I thought right I'm gonna try and have a home birth and we set up the pool and then I think was it 24 hours beforehand it was very clear that it wasn't going to happen and so within about 24 hours, Booper triggered a cesarean at the Portlands and it kind of went from one extreme to the other. Mm. And I remember just waking, coming coming round from, not coming round, I was awake, but coming out of the operating theatre, having had my first baby. And there's a photo of me on my phone that sums it up, really. I was doing a deal and I was, I was doing a deal for Jimmy within a, I don't know, it was probably about within 30 minutes. And you've got this photo of me, and I have saved it because I'm trying to laugh at it now, but there's a photo of newborn six and a half pound Rosie sitting in my legs and me just doing this, just completely ignoring her. And I'm mortified. (laughs) I'm mortified, but also I can laugh about it now because it just summed up the way I just wasn't accepting that things had changed. And then the hormones change, don't they? After sort of two, three, four days, you must know this, how, you know, I don't know whether you still... The baby blues and all that. that The baby blues. And I was in tears and tears and tears. And I was like, what have I done to my life? I was so upset. It took me, yeah, it took me a while. And then I had to do the whole juggling of trying to get myself fit from the cesarean, Mm. try and breastfeed. I wasn't producing enough milk because the... You know, I wasn't. I, I was stressed as well. I yeah, wasn't producing yeah. enough, and 
Yeah, that's a big factor in all that. I've had that happen too. Yeah, it was hard. One of my clients at the time, as her present to me, sent me the the best breastfeeding expert, Claire Byam Shaw. So she came around to our house on the first day I arrived home to help me breastfeed. So I had all this fantastic help and care. And I also had a night nurse as well after a week. So I did get a lot of support, but I still found it really difficult. Like the shock of going from in control to not was was immense. And where's this pressure coming from? Have you always been like that with yourself? Or? I think, I think I've always been quite a perfectionist. I think, um, I think my dad, if I'm honest, my mum's never been pressurising. In fact, she's always been take it easy, calm, look after yourself, look after your children, come home earlier. She's been like that. My dad is one of those. You know, you get you get ninety seven percent on a test, and he says, "Where's the other three percent?" He's a he's he's a he's incredibly successful, and. I think whether he means it or doesn't mean mm. it, he absolutely projects this you've got to succeed mentality around the family. And that was that was the atmosphere when I was growing up at the dinner table. It was all about success. It's also quite um, an addictive thing in your brain, I think, when you're, high, if you're a high achiever. Yeah. I say this with not much experience of it myself. But <laughs> so not true. I can see it in people where it's almost a similar thing to being like a thrill seeker or something. Mm. If you want to keep hitting these targets and probably... You get buzz. You do. And probably this idea that I've given birth, but here I am, seeding a deal. Somewhere in you made complete sense. Like, look at me, check me out. I I haven't lost that side of me. I'm just doing this as well. And and there's no judgment here as well, because I think there's no rules about any of this stuff. And it's sometimes, you know, things take a little while to percolate and find their space. And it's tricky if you're the one that gives birth, because from the moment you find that you're pregnant... Things are supposed to change overnight, you know, and you can see with your... Like when I got pregnant with Sonny, I could see him, Richard, him ta- he could take months, longer if he needed to, to accept that there was this new person coming and all the mm. responsibilities that come with it. But for me, it's like, right, don't drinking, stop that. Mm. I know that relaxes you. And it might feel nice to your friends, but that's, that's how. Mm. Um, you know, watch how much you're sleeping. Watch what you're eating, please. You can't have that anymore. Mm. All these things, you're like, why have I got to just do this yeah. overnight? And yeah. it's immediate, the, the responsibility. And also the guilt when you, yeah. if you even feel like you, you know, have desires to go outside, you're not supposed to feel any of that stuff anymore. It's You're so right about that. And in fact, with my second, with Abby, I feel incredibly guilty. She suffers quite badly from asthma and eczema. And I feel that... When I was eight and a half months pregnant, we were I was I was in the witness stand in the high court because my client at the time, Frankie Boyle, and I were suing the mirror and we won. Mm. But it I was I was I was You were doing that. I was doing that and I was there and I was eight and a half months pregnant and the stress of going to court when you're that pregnant, I could see the jury were kind of thinking this woman could give birth at any moment. You know, I was ready to pop. And I think that those stress hormones aren't good and I feel Mm. incredibly guilty about it I don't regret it because I made the decision at the time but I do feel guilty and I think um I think guilt's a wasted bit of energy to have it's a really annoying emotion isn't it? it's a really annoying emotion to have and I really wish I don't have it I didn't have it but every time I see my daughter with her inhaler and her expert cream I just think yeah I probably didn't help things there's I'm like look I don't have medical backing but I'm pretty (laughs) sure being a witness in court doesn't lead to your child having eczema. But I can totally understand that. And in fact, um, I was talking to a 
a sort of friend of the family who's like family about one of the kids and something they were a few things they're dealing with and she literally I mean I don't take it too much time but she literally went what did you do wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I know where she's coming from with that but I don't really want to go down that line because I don't think that's very helpful. And Um, and there's a general rule actually I'm, I'm one of the first people to say to a fellow mother don't feel guilty. Yeah. Because I do, I'm totally against that whole sort of, oh, I feel guilty about this and that. But I, I think I'd be disingenuous not to say that there isn't some guilt there because I did put my work first. But I did it, I did it knowing that there was a good support for the kids. You know, I wouldn't have done that if, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said I would do the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the lifestyle I had if it was a, a nanny bringing up the kids. I mean, we have had help, but Jeremy's brought up the kids. Mm. Um, So I did it with the thought, well, actually, no, overall as a package, we're doing the right thing. And there's a safety in that as well. Because he's he's the other half of what you're all about as a family and your morals and all the things that matter to you Mm. so that that you're on the same page. Yeah, we're a unit. I think sometimes with um, working hard when the kids are little and being away a lot like that, Mm. you must have to play quite a long game with it in your head to get mm. to the point where they're old enough like mm. hopefully your your daughter's probably at that age now mm. where you can say yes I'm not always there but look what hopefully the, your work ethic is something mm. that they come to think of as mm. a real superpower that you have that's very kind and I really do hope that's true and I hope I'm an inspiration to them because I do want I do want them to see that that I love them very much and have so much respect for them and when I do have time for them at the weekend they will get my attention. Yeah. And we do try and do things, you know, at the weekend and, you know, there's, I, I'm taking my 12-year-old off to New York for four days next month. First time to America for her. And I'm really excited by that because we don't spend any time together, particularly mm. at weekends, because she does football um, with Jeremy. So I see my 10-year-old at the weekend, but I don't see my 12-year-old. So I said, right, we have to spend some time together. But I do hope that those big gaps where they don't see me during the week or, you know, or some weekends that they recognise, A, that I'm doing what I do, partly for me, obviously, but also for the family unit and for them. But also, yeah, I hope they, I hope they are inspired. And I keep saying to them, if you, if you find something that you enjoy, you won't feel like you're working. If you, mm. if you really find that, um, the thing that gets you into that frame of mind where you forget the time and you just get into the flow. And some days... I don't feel like I've worked, even though I've done a, a, a fantastic sort of 14-hour day. I, I don't feel like I've worked because I've got into that groove and that flow. And I said to the kids, don't be going to a job, if you can, where you're checking the hours as they, as they count down. Mm. I said, that might happen, but aim, aim big, aim high and work hard. And I do try and get that through to them. I don't know whether I have, though. I mean, I, I don't want to say too much, but I, I do sometimes think that it's work I don't know I don't know how you I don't know how you present a work ethic to your children I, I think they've either. ever got it or not I don't know I think you're right actually and it's um there's also I feel sometimes a bit of a pressure on kids when they see that you found your thing that makes you happy and makes you feel like you're not working when you're working mm. quite quite young mm. and um you know what if you get to 16 17 and you're not feeling like you've got yeah. that thing growing mm. it's not it doesn't happen for everybody I used to think no. that being someone that was 
creative was a great thing because you can say, hey, look, kids, you can do it mm. your own way. Look at what your dad and I did. But actually they're thinking, well, what if I don't yeah. find that thing? So that I mean, is that quite is, hard. That is in your, in your situation. I mean, your, your, your situation isn't so different to, to ours in mm. that, you know, we're not doing conventional jobs and you and Richard aren't yeah. doing conventional jobs. So there's none of this sort of obvious career path. It's, no. it, it's, and I don't know what your kids are into because Sonny's now 18. Yeah. Um, so he's at that age. But yeah, it's, it is interesting. And you've got to just let them follow that path of theirs. Yes. And um, I think as well, because Richard and I haven't worked together, we didn't have the same thing with the, the home being one of us being there. Yeah. So there's been a lot more of them saying, you've already been out three nights this week. Mm. And uh, that gets harder as well, I think. Mm. Well, it's quite tricky sometimes. Mm. Um I mean, do you think because it was always the way it was that your girls and your family dynamic was mm. kind of a lot more allowing of that? That mm. thing of like, I'm out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm. and that's just how it is. Are they quite good? They've always been quite good with that, do you think? No, they. So, for example, tonight, both Jeremy and I are out for um, my oldest friend's birthday today. I haven't said happy birthday to her. Shit. I'll um, remind you. Remind me afterwards, yeah. It's Fran's birthday, shout out to Fran. And it's funny because she's so close to your birthday and probably yes. every year it creeps up. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to, we're going out for dinner tonight to a place called Flight Club where it's dart, dinner and darts. Which oh, wow. is Yeah, I've never been to this place before. So tonight, both Jamie... will get on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Otherwise the darts will go in the wrong direction. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but Jeremy and I are both going out tonight and we don't go out that much, but then it was his birthday on Tuesday this week. So we both went out for dinner Aww. on Tuesday night. Um, and the kids do sort of use the the, the, the sort of guilt lines of, oh God, you've yeah, already been out this week. Um, I feel less guilty about that because I think sort of during the week, I don't feel it's my responsibility to stay in, if I'm honest with you. So I think mm. it's harder for Jeremy. But um, for instance, last night, Jeremy was at a book club and I was in the office and I was going to work later, but in fact, I came home for nine so that I could see the kids before they went to sleep. So we do have to sort, you know, we have to adapt around it mm. when the kids sort of put that pressure and they'll call up and go, when you home, when you home, when you home. And I'm looking at my to-do list and thinking, I don't know, I don't know. It's <laughs> This is hard, but it's that's the balance. In the evening, yeah. that's, the, that's always the tricky thing. During the day when they're at school, it sort of doesn't become yeah. relevant. I know, yeah, it completely like lets the pressure off, definitely. Yeah. And, do you think there are a lot of traits in in your sort of mothering and your work thing that are quite similar, mm. like hats you have to wear? Mm. So I... It, it's probably for other people to comment more on this because they would... I'm not, I'm not sure how self-aware I am on all this. I, I think I'm a little bit of a sort of Jewish mum to my clients. I... Quite harsh, quite judgmental, but want to make sure they've eaten. You know, so that would be probably my management style. <laughs> um, I think with my kids, I think I probably am a bit, I, I think I'm not particularly good at listening. I think I'm sort of running at such fast speed in my brain that I need to slow down and listen to them. I think where I bring, where I bring my management style into managing my kids, managing my kids, looking after my parenting, my kids, is the way to get through to me is to make me laugh. And so the kids often will say, I've got a great joke for you. Or I said this at school, it's really funny. Um, I've actually got a running list in my phone of funny things the kids have said because I look at it, you know, every yeah. now and again, I go, oh my God, they're so funny. And they do come out with some brilliant, funny things. One of them said to me, 
She said, she said Mum, when you're buried on your, on your uh, tombstone, it's going to say, Jimmy, I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. That is brilliant. It was very funny. Um, so they are, they're very aware, they're very aware of me and they, mm. I think they quite like it in the sense that they tell their teachers, they say, oh, my mum manages comedians, do you like comedy? And then occasionally I'll give my, I'll give their teachers tickets to comedy gigs as a way of sort of, you know, buttering them up a little bit. So I, I think the kids quite yeah. like that. Um, and they do, when we do spend time together, I think they appreciate that it's it's not that often. Mm. And so we sort of, you know, we treasure it if we do a night away every now and again. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I find it easier managing comedians th- than I find looking after children. I find it quite difficult to understand what a child's needs are. I don't, I just, it doesn't come naturally to me. I think that's really honest of you. And I also think that, that there's, it's also not a catch-all thing. I think some ages are easier mm. for me than others. That's interesting. Yeah, because there's diff- different bits. And some, I remember that when they're the sort of toddler bit, I kind of get, I don't find mm. that as engaging as when they get mm. that bit older. Whereas for some people, when they're like the little pudgy bit, that's their mm. like favourite bit. Mm. Known people, when I've heard, obviously, a few and people say, oh, you must love babies. And I'm like, mm. well, I like that stage but it's not like mm. it's not like I have to start like keep having another one to renew having a, <laughs> you know I do understand they're going to grow <laughs> and it's also interesting what you say about the jokes and the humour because I think every family's almost got a sort of currency of what yeah. and was humour something that was in your childhood as well yeah it was and so so I'm the youngest of three children mm. and my two older brothers um, are well I've my, my, yeah, my eldest brother is uh sort of in the industry my middle brother is, is is an artist but at the t- at the at the table it was a very sort of political and uh, intellectual conversation at the mm-hmm. dinner table and the only way for me to get heard was I'd wait for like a little gap in the conversation and then I'd make the most inappropriate pun <laughs> and that was the only way I communicated I had no interest in anything to do with the news or uh or, or any of this sort of communist conversation that was going on my parents were both sort of you know members of the communist party it was a very sort of socialist family that was very was very sort of politically minded we never talked about feelings and it was so serious I felt mm. that I just had to come in with inappropriate and occasionally and my dad won't like me saying this but if it was a bad joke he would just say one thing he'd say Hannah hand and he'd give me a pretend slap on my hand for the bad joke. And I found this so funny that I just carried on doing it all through my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's fully supported me, you know, making comedy my career. He said to me, don't go, don't go and do a conventional job. He's, he, was, he was the one that said, make comedy your business. That's amazing. So he saw it in you. But why not? Why did you not want to do stand-up then if you're making these jokes? I wasn't funny. Like anyone will say, like the number of times I try and be funny and you could just see my client go, no, no, stop. Like you're <laughs> not funny. Think about that. Yeah, you've got to, when you make a joke to a comedian, they just go, mm. You're not funny. You're not funny. I think I'm one of those people. Savage. I'm a massive exhibitionist. So with my friends, I will be the one after a few Proseccos, you know, I'll be the one that's saying the outrageous thing. I'll say the inappropriate thing. But I have no desire to put myself out there as a performer or as a or, or, or as a comedian in any way because I I don't enjoy that pressure. Mm. I enjoy I enjoy it when it's you know I'm the person down the pub wanting to make someone laugh, and I enjoy working with creatives. And I think I knew quite early on that I wanted to be the business side. Mm. But but also it's in a it's in an industry where I can make a joke and no one's going to frown because it's like this is just you know, it's just fine. You can say what you want. It's not, yeah. 
we're not we're not in the medical profession where that comment's gonna you know be inappropriate yeah comedy you can get away with a lot absolutely I mean I love that brilliant for that and I think there's a little I've got a little tile at home and it says something on it like beware of artists for they can slip through all different levels of society and I think Mm. comedy's got that hasn't Mm. it where if someone can come in and make a room laugh then they actually can kind of Mm. be canny and actually go anywhere actually it's kind of a bit of a bit of a key that fits a lot of locks and a couple of my comedians are using comedy right now in other ways so one Absolutely. of them you know one of them so one of them's called Pippa Evans she's using it improv to help you in a sort of in a self-help way to improve ah. your life and I've got another client of mine called Stuart Goldsmith who's using comedy he used it all through lockdown with companies in something called res, uh, re- resilience presentation where he would talk to CEOs of companies uh, about how you can use comedy to uh, talk, talk and improve your skills with your team, and mm. and I think using comedy to enrich people's lives outside of the industry, I think is really important. And I, in fact, one of the things we do at home, this is reminding me, we've got a lot of Alexas in the house. Mm-hmm. We use them all the time, and um, I'm obsessed by the roast, the roasting format. You know, when you when you roast each other. Oh yeah, yeah. What on Alexa? So you can use you can you can say to Alexa. No, what? Sorry, I'm I'm obsessed by the roasting format on TV and oh, okay. in, in stand up. There's a sort of function on. Yes, Alexa. there is. Oh, so in Alexa, you can say you can say to Alexa, roast me, and she will roast you. She'll say, you know, it's not particularly rude, but it's it's rude enough for children. Well, she'd be criticizing the things I've bought on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, <laughs> Sophie, why did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you spend that on that? <laughs> yeah. But she. So my kids will will say, Alexa, roast me, and they they just love being insulted by her. But what what was so clear to me was this favourite format of mine on TV mm. was giving these kids of mine this resilience. And they said, if a bully says this and this to me, I'm going to say this. Mm. And they had these these very very funny lines that were age appropriate. Obviously, as they get older, they become a little bit ruder. And I was so delighted because I think. For your kids to be sort of going out into into the sort of slightly harsh school playgrounds, and you think, no, they're going to be okay. They'll they could have someone be rude about what they're wearing or what they look like, but they'll have a comment to come back with. Yeah, I thought that was something that I could give them in my world. I could give them that that bit of armor. It's it's a huge bit of armor, actually. That I think the ability to deflect, but also it's clever. I mean, if you can make people laugh, or if you can disarm that way. Mm. It's smart. I know that when, you know, when your kids are little and they make a joke or something, that for me, that's a sign of independent thought and wit. Mm, mm. So I'm always kind of like rooting for them with all yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I was thinking back as well. I think you're hard on yourself when you said you're not a good listener because I think anyone that says something like that about themselves, generally that's actually something they're not as bad about as they mm. think. <laughs> it's the people who think they're great at stuff that tend to be making the mistakes. <laughs> that's really sweet. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think what it ha- I think what happens, in truth, is that I have so much to get, I have such a mental load every day that if someone is telling me something that takes, I don't know, 10 minutes and I know what the point is, I completely switch off and think about my list of things I have to do. So I don't think I'm a particularly good listener for the mundane things in life. I think if someone needs to talk to me about something that's actually deep and emotional and means something to them, then yes, I will do. But I can, I'm a terrible person for going, I think I know what you're going to say and no. (laughs) 
is the answer. God, I really identify with that, actually. Do you that with? I do oh, it with kids. Yeah. I do it with my staff. I do it with my clients. I'm like, I haven't got time for this sentence. <laughs> I really haven't. I know where we're going with it. It's the equivalent of someone who's got a stutter and you're finishing their sentence. It's so rude, so inappropriate, <laughs> and shouldn't be done. And I hate myself for doing it. <laughs> and I, I mean, like, I, call, I call my mum, you know, every other day, and, and and I know exactly the conversation. I could give it, I could write it down in transcript. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I go, deep breath, breathe through it, breathe through it. It's fine. I hope she, luckily, she doesn't know how to listen to podcasts, so we're okay. <laughs> I've sent her so many, she doesn't know how to use her phone. <laughs> But it's true that thing, well, kids uh, are ripe reading ground for conversations where you're like, yes, yes. I mean, on the way to school, like get a synopsis of film and then halfway through I'll say something, try and chip in and I realise I haven't been paying any attention to what's going on or who it was in the playground that said what. And it's so important to them and I'm just like, oh. And you're telling yourself, listen, listen, listen. Yeah. But all you're thinking is, I've got to be so-and-so. Yeah, exactly. And I haven't done X and yeah. I have to do it. Oh, halfway there. Oh, sorry, I've just got an email I forgot to send. Oh, it's so bad. It's a terrible thing, that. But hopefully they kind of understand that there's... Well, if you're like that all the time, then it's kind of how you are. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not always <laughs> like it, but I, I, I apologise because my kids will listen to this at some point. I'm so sorry. I love you. I love listening about... I love listening to you. I just... It's my problem, not yours. <laughs> Yeah, don't worry. I think everybody experiences that a little bit as well because there's a lot of things where you you are supposed to be kind of multitasking up here. So mm. it, is, it is a lot to do. And you've got a lot of people who look to you for mm. what to do, how to respond to things and what to do next. So mm. you've taken on that responsibility. So mm. that comes with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That kind of thing. Well, I'm aware of your time. So before I let you go back to your job, and thank you for giving me so much time. Firstly, I've still got here half a square oh. of this incredibly... I want to just tiny minute talk about this chocolate, you yes. me. 100% chocolate. I've never experienced anything quite like it. I haven't made it through a whole square. I know. I mean, I I will probably have 100 grams of that a day. And I'm going to try and do it again now. Yeah. Just for, just for lols, but... That is intense. Hannah, that has taken what I regard as the fun out of chocolate. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. <laughs> but I feel so good on it. And I have a, my, 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 my ritual every morning is cold swimming and dark chocolate. What time do you get up to do the cold swimming? We get up at 6.15. Who's we? Jeremy and I. He Jeremy meditates. Well. Yeah, he swims. We swim in, in the Hampstead Ponds or the Lido. And the combination of a cold swim with coffee, dark chocolate and breakfast as well is the best start to the day. You're so hardy. I'm very impressed. And if you can do a cold swim and you can eat that chocolate, then anything that comes to you during the day is fine and easy. Yeah. <laughs> you hit the ground running. That's an interesting thing to put a really high bar at the beginning of every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've coped. <laughs> well done. I've got it through another, <laughs> another, another obstacle. Another obstacle, yeah. <laughs> Must be quite hard to get. Did you do it this morning then? Yes. Yeah. And how's the water this morning? Six degrees, which is one more than yesterday. Yesterday was five. Last week was three. Um... And I did 12 minutes. Um, That's long. It's good. Wash my hair. Yeah, it was afterwards. Do your girls do the cold swimming? Do they eat the chocolate? Uh, they don't do either. <laughs> no, they've I'm tried both. Oh, they have? They've tried both and it's not for them. They like Cadbury's and they like uh, Warm Pools, which I'm hugely disappointed in. <laughs> <laughs> they can come and hang out with me. That's fine. We can sit somewhere in a cosy room eating yeah, the chocolate. Fantastic. Just picturing you guys swimming. Um <laughs> What do you hope your girls have in their little, like, metaphorical backpack of things you'd like them to get from you? 
You mentioned I, resilience. That's a very good one. Exactly what I was going to say. I think that's probably the the key thing. And I want them and and, and a sense of humour because I think if you can approach life with a sense of humour, you've you can tackle a lot of things and mm. people, types of people. Kindness, I think, is so important, and I think it's under under understated, really, as mm. something as as a as a trait. Um, and I think they're both really kind, um, and they not typical children. They ask other people about their day, which I think is just lovely for kids that age. Yeah, I bet. Well, they must get that from you because I'm. There's a thread running with your stories of like, I mean, I'm sure you haven't always felt like it on the inside, but just being confident and being able to put yourself out there because that's not something everybody can do. You might even have the, you know, mm. the nous of the business, but to actually be confident and mm. talk to people, that's a massive part of what you do. And I don't think I was always that confident. As a child, I think it took a while for me to get that armour. Mm. And so if I can give my kids the ability to trust in their instincts and... Uh, to see the best in people as well. Because mm. I think if you go through life thinking that most people are good and kind, then I think you'll have a better outlook. They ask me often, you know, I meet a lot of famous people and they go, are they nice? It's always that question. And my husband and I both always say, no one is neither nice nor not nice. You know, we're all, you know, we're all a, a complete spectrum. And we try and explain that it's not black and white and that that, and that pretty much, you know... Even the even what you would consider the worst people in the world are also nice in their mind. They're nice, and to some people, they're nice. And so we're yeah. trying to get the kids to understand the way that people have this range of personalities, and yeah. and the environment is so important, and to 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 see the best in people, basically. Yeah, and that's actually so important to put about that nuance about maybe being all good or all bad about that thing of like. Mm. Because sometimes probably hearing so, you say, oh, so-and-so so lovely or so nice probably puts this false idea that that's, that's actually an achievable thing and really it, it's not. It isn't. <laughs> it definitely isn't. And if someone in our world behaves badly, it's often because something's happened to them that morning or the environment isn't very good and they've been forced into it and you're mm. getting a snapshot of them behaving like mm. that. You can't judge them. Yeah, you can't so judge true. Them. Yeah, and how you interact with somebody on one day might be different to the next anyway, depending on yeah. whatever else is going on with them anyway. Yeah. yeah, especially in my world, my work world as well. To to have anyone judge my clients mm. based on one thing they say is is something that I would all be, always fight against. And I think, well, if they said something, it's probably because you put you 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 triggered something because you yeah you you create an environment that was inappropriate. That must be quite hard for you because in your role you have to be the person that where the buck stops as well yeah. quite often, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And if something goes wrong, I have to then work out how do we how do we make this better. You know, is that make something them look you think good. anyone can learn to do, or is that something you have to kind of be? I, I couldn't explain it, and no. I think it's an instinct that you develop over the years. And I, I, I wouldn't know what it is that I couldn't, I couldn't even summarize it. Yeah, you just have you always had that in you, that kind of feeling of like being able to be a bit unapologetic about yourself. I think so, and I also think that I, I think I have always been unemployable, so I think I've always had that instinct that I'm gonna be my own boss. That's interesting. You never, yeah, of course, you've been doing it yeah. since you were young, but you never pictured yourself ever working for anyone. No, I never had that. I don't think I could. And could it have ever been anything other than comedy? <sighs> I always think about this. I mean, the only other, the, 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 the other thing I do love is, I love interiors, so I suppose maybe architectural interiors is mm -hmm. probably my second love, but I don't think I'm particularly good at it. Like, I don't think I would have had a flair for it. Do you think it's been really important part of like the oil that turns the wheels that the, there's yeah. jokes to be made 
all along the way? I think so. I think so. I think, I think, and I know it's really cheesy, but I think this was my destiny. And I think that sounds really cheesy and I hate myself for saying it, but I can't imagine anything else. No, I think that's lovely. I think that's really lovely. Or, I, or no, I'd be a chocolate maker. <laughs> I'd be a chocolate maker. and I'd, like this chocolate? And I'd make, and as my kids point out, if I was a chocolate maker, I'd make no money because I'd eat all my profits. <laughs> Well, you, you might also struggle to make money if it tastes like this one because I think this is a niche chocolate, 100%. I'm cocoa. so sending you the website and you'll see <laughs> yeah. it's not. Okay, and I'm sure there's loads of people out there. We love 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll be okay. outnumbered. Thank you so much, Hannah. And I'm going to stop recording so I can hear the full story about your tooth. Oh my God. Is it off now? <laughs> There we have it. That was the 90th conversation in the spinning plates canon. Hannah Chambers, thank you very much. What a lovely, lovely guest to end on for this series. And I've already started recording quite a few for the new series. Oh, I've got some good people for you. Really exciting. Very diverse again. But some really, really lovely people. And in the meantime, well, actually today, it's been a bit cold this week, I know, but today is actually a little bit sunny. So I think we're going to go out and about and take the kids to this beautiful bit in Richmond Park called the Isabella Plantation, which you have, if you haven't been, when you know, some you're in London town and you fancy a nice wander somewhere pretty, head there because you really see all the seasons change in that little bit of the park. It's very well cultivated and it's got amazing flowers and fauna and all the trees and all the leaves turn different colours at different times of year and there's ducks. It's great. So that's where we're going to go today. And this week I've actually got a couple of podcast interviews to do for you. So there you go. It's all systems go in the best of ways. Have a lovely rest of your week. Thank you so much for joining me in this series. I hope you've enjoyed the conversations I've had. Thank you to all my guests. And uh, I'm going to go and put the kettle on again because, hey, it's Sunday around here. All right, lots of love. See you soon. Bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.